You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. If you guys have your Bibles, and I really hope that you do, why don't you guys open them up to Acts. The book of Acts, it's the New Testament. We are going back to where we left off right before um, Christmas. We took four or five weeks where we kind of focused in on the Christmas time. And, um, and so now we're going to head back to Acts where we started. And we, we left off, we, when, before Christmas, we, we, were, we finished Acts chapter 4. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm putting my clock up here so I can time myself to see how long I really am. <laughs> it won't matter. <laughs> the, the reality is it'll, it'll time off and then I'll... I won't even look at it, so. But I'm going to put it up there just for giggles. <laughs> um, but um, we are, yeah, so, you know, um, this has nothing to do with the message today. I'm just going to extend it. But, um, you know, I, we really, I, I have four kids. Many of you guys know that. And the, the three oldest are girls, and the youngest is a boy. And, um, you know, before we had kids, I, I was the kind of guy, probably like most guys, I, I had never held a baby before, let alone changed a diaper. I don't think I've ever seen a diaper. And so when we were getting ready to have a kid and we knew that Courtney was pregnant, you know, there was a party where we were just like, I hope it's a boy because I can probably relate better with a boy. And then we found out it was a girl. And so not that I was disappointed, at all, but I was just like, I just don't know if I would be a good girl dad, because I don't, I don't have a sister, but I mean, I don't know that I would, you know. So we had Mackenzie, and, and then, you know, a little while later, Courtney was pregnant again, and, um, and we, so then I'm like, well, you know, maybe this will be a boy, It'll even it out at the house, and it was a girl. <laughs> and I kind of thought we were done, I, I kind of figured like that was you know, we have two kids, a nice, you know, family of four, compact car and all that kind of good stuff. And, um, and then, you know, Lord threw us a curveball, and we had a third child, which happened to be a girl again. And, um, and you know what? Here's the funny thing. So we have three kids, and I really thought we were done, 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 done. And then we had another unexpected blessing, and, um, and then we found out it was a boy, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do a boy now. <laughs> well, I know our girls. And, but, you know, um, but with that, when they're like little, it's just, you just play with them. And so whether it's a Barbie doll or these things from Hades called American Girl Dolls or, um, or whatever, you, you just play. You get in the ground, you wrestle. But as they get older, um, you start transitioning into a different phase of life. And like this weekend was kind of like my transition of a girl father in an area, in an atmosphere 
that was completely out of my comfort zone. Um, I'm still, I'm contemplating going to the doctors just to get my lungs checked because I inhaled so much hairspray that uh, it, something's got to not be right. Um, and there is so much glitter and so many squeals. But in the midst of all that, you know what? Uh, it was so worth it. I mean, even though I don't understand any of their terminology, they were talking about tumbling. I'm like, man, I do that all the time. <laughs> Not on purpose, but I mean, but you know, but, but it was so, and so I, I say all to say, your moms and dads, like cherish the kids that you have and cherish the time that you have with those kids. Um, you know, we, we have grandparents here um, and I would tell you the same thing, like cherish those grandkids. Like these, these are memories that we, and, and opportunities that we only get once. You know, this was, this was our girls' first cheer competition. There'll never be another first cheer competition for our girls, thankfully. <laughs> but, but there'll probably be many more. But, but you know what I'm saying? But, but, but cherish these things. And, um, you know, embrace as, as our kids do stuff, even if it's not in our comfort zone, dads. Um, encourage them. You know, love on them and support them. Um, as long as they're doing something okay and not in trouble, all right? So anyways, that's my two cents on parenting. It's the only good example I have. So let's pray, and then let's get into God's word, which means way more than my examples. Lord, um, this morning, I pray that just in the next few moments, as we, as we try and dig into your word, um, God, I, I pray that, that, that you take this passage, these seven verses, and, and, and Lord, I pray that you press it upon our hearts, God, I feel like we as a, a, a new church or a, a young church, in, in so many ways we can look at these passages and acts and, and, and we, can, we, can, we can place ourselves there. I mean, what we're talking about here, these storylines that we see in the first six chapters of Acts, it's an early church. It's, it's still a church plant. And Lord, I, there's so many lessons that we can learn from this. Um, hopefully individually, but, but us uh, corporately as a faith family. And, and God, I pray that you allow us this morning to see those truths. Lord, I pray that you help me to be faithful to your word. God, I don't want this morning to be filled up with reading a verse and then giving you a, the, the people a bunch of funny stories that we leave laughing. Lord, I, my prayer is when we leave today, they don't remember a single word I say or a story that I left them with, but our faith family remembers your words and that your words transform our lives. So God, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, begin working, working in our hearts, our minds, our ears. Lord, I pray, God, that you give me your wisdom. I pray that you give me your words. I pray that you give me your passion. And I pray, God, that we all, myself included, me being at the front line, that we leave today different people than we were when we got here. So Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. It's in your son's beautiful, precious, holy, and amazing name we pray. Amen. All right, so Acts, book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. So we're going to look today at the first seven verses and... and um, it's interesting because as we've gone through Acts, last week we kind of did a little recap of the year. 
And we talked a little bit about Acts, but, but if you remember going back the, the previous chapter, you know, leading up to this, we've seen this really explosion of growth in the church. Um, you know, Jesus, he ascends into heaven, and as he's ascending, he's, he's giving his, his disciples, his, his ragtag group, his team, he says, guys, go, go, go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, as I leave, I'm giving you this power. This power is going to come upon you. The power being the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and he's going to give you this, this power to go into Jerusalem, where you're at, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so, so this is coming. And so Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples, the groups, they kind of hang out for a while, 40 days. And, and all of a sudden, or not 40 days, for 10 days. And then as they're gathering in this upper room, this miraculous thing occurs. I mean, in this upper room, more than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely it was in an upper room in the, in the, in the temple. But there's this sound of a, a rushing, roaring wind. And then it's these tongues of fire, like they go over the heads and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And these disciples from that moment on have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's something that, that has never happened before. Like, like previously, the Holy Spirit was around. It wasn't like Jesus just created the Holy Spirit and boom, this is the first time he's active and evolved. But, but previous to this, previous to the Holy Spirit coming and, and, and resting upon them permanently, the Holy Spirit would, would come and go. And when you'd read about this in the Old Testament, you would see these stories where the Holy Spirit was present. He'd be there. He'd come upon the people, but it would be for a season. You know, that's why I think for us, we, you know, we, we fail to understand the power that we have. We read the Old Testament, and we see all these cool stories. You know, downstairs, I'm not exactly sure what story they're, they're learning this week, but, but you guys, if you grew up in church, you can, you can think back to those, those cool stories of like David and Goliath, right? You can think back of all these different miracles that the prophets said. We can, we can think back of, of Moses, and parting the Red Sea, and all these really cool things. And, and, and sometimes if we're not careful, we think these are just stories, almost like fables or, or, or story tales. One of the things that we fail to understand, I forget, is that Holy Spirit that would empower those people during those miraculous things, he's in us today. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he indwells in you. That's what, what James, um, the, the very end of the book of James in the fifth chapter, I love how the, one of my favorite verses, Khaki, for you. I think it's James 5.18 when, when James says that Elijah was a man just like us. To me, that's, that's amazing to think. He's James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, reminding the people, like, guys, listen, these Old Testament people that we read about, that we know, that we've memorized, like there was nothing different about them as an individual than there is about us. And so the same is true to us today. As we read the Bible, as we read these stories, those are people just like you and I are. And this Holy Spirit, though, it dwells in us. That's why I'm, part of me is, is convinced as we get to heaven, and, and maybe you have this checklist, but as soon as I get there, I want to meet David. I want to talk to David and, and figure out what it's like about this, or, or I want to talk to, to, to Moses, or, or to Noah, and what, what did the ark smell like? Or what, what, but you know what? I, I almost wonder that even before we have a chance to go find them, if those people come rushing up to us and say, Chad, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit in you, living in you? What was it like to have it there all the time? 
Guys, this is huge. This Holy Spirit is huge. And so Jesus ascends. He's like, guys, this power is coming. It's going to come. and It's going to give you the strength to do all these amazing things for me. And so these disciples go, and, and you get the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people. I mean, boom, Peter delivers a message. 3,000 people, they come, and they join the church. And, and as you go through those first five chapters, you got like 3,000 join the church, 2,000. And then it gets to the point where like Luke can't even keep up with how many people are joining the church. And so he goes from saying thousands to just saying multitudes are joining the church on a daily basis. And so you have this rapid growth. And these guys were no way prepared organizationally for what to do with all these people. In the beginning of chapter 5, we see this first inward church struggle. Right before, you had some of this outward, you had some of this persecution, you had people from the Sanhedrin and the other religious zealots that were kind of attacking. But now we have this little inward ruffle in the church with Ananias and Sapphira. This is a problem that most pastors would probably like to have today. People that were so generous, they wanted to fake even be more generous. One of the things I appreciated so much in Justin and Jessica's testimony was how they felt like Redemption Hill was a place that was authentic. I've been in church my whole life. I, I spent seasons running from God. But the thing I've learned, I guess, in my 40 years of life experience is one of the places where people feel they have to put the largest mask on is church. You know, I mean, even these, these can be like lifelong friends, but, but, but they work so hard to protect where people don't see what's really going on in life. One of the things that, that I so badly want for our church is that we can just realize that we're all real people with real problems, but with a real Savior. And so we don't need to pretend. We don't need to pretend like, man, my marriage is absolutely A++. Like, we never have an argument. My wife always understands me, and I always understand her. I've never understood Courtney. And... <laughs> our years of marriage. And I will tell you this, she has never understood me. And I've come to understand we will never understand each other. That we understand that we don't have to pretend like, um, like our children are perfect to be accepted. Youth, like plug your ears for a minute. Like our kids are going to fail us just like we're going to fail them. And what ends up happening, I think, is we, we all spend this time, and so our kids see us pretending to be something that we're not, so they grow up doing the same exact thing in this, this wicked cycle. But it, for whatever reason, it can become amplified in a church because we're all supposed to have everything together, and we're all supposed to be religious. And so I so badly want us to be authentic, but in the beginning of, of Acts 5, you have... Ananias and Sapphira who get caught up in the church is giving. They're giving generously. People are like selling homes and selling things and they're, they're giving to those in need and it's just amazing thing taking place. And so Ananias and Sapphira, like they, they see that Barnabas gets this, this attention. And so they're like, well, listen, we want some of that. So let's go sell our land. And rather than just give all of it, they just give a portion of it, but they make everyone think they're giving all of this. It's, it was a sacrifice 
It was a good thing. I mean, just them selling the land, and if they gave 5%, if they gave a dollar, if they gave whatever, was, was something good. But rather than just allowing God and the people to understand they gave some, they wanted the full attention. And so God strikes them. I mean, dead. When we talked about that, you know, most of us can be thankful that God hasn't done that in our own lives. And so you have that, and, and in the midst of it, the church once again rallies. And you see this renewed authenticity. And you know, one of the things the devil doesn't like is when the church is winning. And sometimes the devil will use things on the outside to try and bring us down. But when those things aren't working, he'll look for cracks on the inside. And so he tried that with Ananias and Sapphira, and it didn't work. And when we get into Acts chapter 6, we see another attempt. So we're going to read these first seven verses. There's some names in there, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be authentic. I can't pronounce them. I'm going to go through them real fast. You guys, I, see, I could have I faked it out. You guys wouldn't have known. You were like, oh, I've been mispronouncing that the whole, this whole time. Here we go. Acts chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve these tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then Timon and Pumbaa and, you know, Procurius and Nisenor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte, of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Check out verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's, as I was reading this passage this last week, some things that kind of popped out to me. One of the things at the very beginning of verse one, it says, now in these days, days when the disciples were increasing in number, we see this kind of transition taking place in Acts. And, you know, a lot of times when we start thinking about disciples, we, you know, we think about Peter, John, Paul, you know, Jesus's group of guys. But, but notice now that that term now begins to expand and it reaches far beyond just 12 guys. You know, they begin to describe the church now as disciples. And it's growing. And it's, as we said earlier, trying to lead up to this point, it's, it's been growing at a very rapid pace. And this problem arrives. Now, they notice in here, you have kind of these two different groups. They're, they're both Jews. You have the Hellenist group and the Hebrews. And, and when we think of like the Hebrews, let's just try and make this simple for us to understand and remember. Hebrews would be like 
the Jewish Jews. Right? These are like your traditional Orthodox Jews, your Jewish Jews. The Hellenists, though, this is, this is the Grecian Jews. Over the summer, we, we spent several weeks going through the book of Daniel. You guys remember Daniel chapter 2, there's this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And in this dream, he has this dream of the statue, you know, head of gold, the, the arms and the chest of silver, the torso of bronze, and then the legs of, of iron and the feet of the iron clay mixture. Well, that was a prophetic dream. And you have this time period, which is pretty cool. And you guys know I love history. Um, and in, in, in that, you, you have this time that, that a lot of people will, will call like this, this space in biblical history that we don't know much about. You know, from the end of the Old Testament to begin the New Testament. There's a few hundred years there that we, we think we don't know much. The Bible doesn't talk much about. But in Daniel, it gives you this whole pff, 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 all these different empires. Well, when we talk about that, we talk about the Babylonians and all these different, the, 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 um, um, the Greeks and the Romans, and all these different empires that would come and they would overtake Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms. Well, in this time period, as, as these different places, these different nations would rise up and they would conquer or take over Israel, they would, oftentimes, they would take some of these people away. Daniel's a great example, right? He gets dragged away from home into Babylonia, or into Babylon. And so it was very common. So these people would get torn away from their homes, and they would get moved around. Well, well we all can remember in history this guy named Alexander the Great. And he was the one who, who rammed up this, this, um, this Greek empire. And his, his goal, unlike some of these other empires, he wanted to just, not just like convert or take over these countries, but he wanted to, to, to take their culture to these other places and, and turn all these people into Greeks. You get to other places, like the Romans, they just wanted the territory and the riches. They didn't care about the culture part. But the Greeks, Alexander the Great, did, he wanted it. And so this is a, a way that you, when you think about how awesome God works, he goes, Alexander the Great conquers much of the known world, and he makes Greek this common language, which God would later in time use to allow the gospel to blow up. Right? Well, in this, you have these these. Hellenists, which were these Grecian Jews who spoke Greek. And then the Hebrews were the ones that would, would speak Aramaic. And you have this cultural divide. And if you looked at it in, in most um, commentary, would let us know that the Hebrew Jews, the Jewish Jews, they're your traditional Jews, the, the, the conservative group. And then you would have the, the Hellenists, the Grecian Jews, which would be the more liberal group. So in Acts, when we are here in this particular part of Acts, they're all still in Jerusalem. Remember the day of Pentecost was a feast and people were gathering there. And so you have this onslaught where these people who had traveled afar, they come there, boom, they hear Peter, you know, thousands of these Hebrew Jewish Jews are converted, but you also have these Greece, these Hellenist Jews that are converted as well. And one of the things that would take place, again, in this time period, and we, we, we don't probably to maybe varying degrees we can feel it here in our country, where if someone um, becomes a believer, you know, their family may not follow, they may not agree with, 
We, we could, I'm, I'm sure Pastor Ray could share stories of people he's met in other countries, though, that when they come to accept Christ, like, they're dead to the rest of their family. They're disowned. And see, that's alive in, in our world today, but that's present in this time, too. And so you have these people who are, who are, are, are coming, and, and they're accepting Jesus, and they're converting, but then the rest of their family are cutting them off. And, and now you have these groups of people, specifically these widows, that are, are been cut off maybe from their family, or maybe, obviously, their spouse, their, their husband's passed on, but, but they're lacking some physical needs. Now, here's what's interesting in this. Luke doesn't tell us if this was truly going on, if, if, they, if these Jewish Jews were really discriminating against this other group, or if the Hellenists just felt like they were. The problem is somebody feels slighted. And they begin to complain about it. I, I, would, I would gather, again, that, that many of us have been, at least in some point in our lives, have been involved in a church where you see some inner struggle take place. Yeah, I, I, I think probably one of the greater examples, maybe in the last 10 or 20 years now, I guess, even is probably over worship music, style of music. I mean, you, you have some people that like, man, if it's not, if there's not an organ up there and if there's not people with rows behind them and it's not coming out of a book, then it's not real worship music. And then you have another group that will say, well, listen, if there's not fog and if there's not strobe lights and if that singer is not wearing skinny jeans, and it's not worship music. And then you have these lines in between, and it's go time. And it's, it's so sad. I, I, I read a story about a church in, in Dallas. I, th- I think this happened several years ago. Um, there was a disagreement. Um, and this church decided, I mean, it, was, it, was, it got to the point where it was splitting. And, and there's this one property, and both size of this church was, was, was trying to, to gain the property. And so it, it ended up in court. And the judge listens to both sides. And finally, he, he decides that the, the, the denomination should kind of handle this. Let's let them kind of iron this thing out. And so the denomination goes and, and they, they bring the people in. They listen to what's going on. And, and finally, they award the property to one of these um, families. But in the midst of it, what happened was they learned that the, the beginning of this argument occurred when one of the elders of the church um, received a smaller piece of ham than the child next to him. And that's where it began. And then the news hears about it and reports it. And you hear stories like that, and we think, that could never happen. That is the most ridiculous, that's the stupidest thing I've ever... Who would get mad about ham? I mean, and let alone you would think an elder, someone older would would be more forgiving. Maybe it was good ham. I don't, I don't know, but, but it caused that. And we've seen churches split over style of music. Folks, we, we um, let, me, um, let me be transparent with you. When we started Redemption Hill Church, um, I, I remember 
we had a couple of these like vision casting meetings and, and hopefully several of you came to those. You know, one of the things at first I thought, you know what, man, we're going we're gonna to build a church for young families. I mean, we're going to, I mean, I did this demographic report. I mean, I looked up all this stuff and boom, this is what we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to reach young families. And one day God crushed me over that. You know, and God said, listen, why don't you just minister to the families I give you? And I learned a lesson, I believe, that, that, that we can work. And I think that the apostles in the church here are going to learn this. That we can, we can try and manage our ministry. Or we can just minister to the ones that God gives us. And so we have this opportunity here. These people, there's a problem and they're, they're complaining. And, and so the apostles, they, they call a big old church meeting, which is dangerous. I mean, that's dangerous. And he says, now they say to him, listen, guys, there's a problem. These particular widows don't feel as if they're being taken care of properly. And so they devise a plan. And, and, and at first glance, we think as we read this, and maybe, maybe you don't, but, but you read like the disciples say, well, listen, here's the deal, guys. Um, there's a problem. We've got to feed these people. We're not doing it. We're going to preach you guys do it. Um, and I, what I want us to, be under, to understand here in this is it's not a matter of the disciples not wanting to get their hands dirty in ministry. In fact, I think as we read the beginning part, I think we can almost insinuate that what they're saying, that some in the group saying, listen, um, guys, there's a problem here. So we need you guys to get involved. We need you disciples to be the ones that go out and just you take care of giving the food out. We got this Meals on Wheels program going on. And we need more wheels. We need you guys to, to do it. And I think we see a very important truth here when it comes to, to ministry, when it comes to, to church. Is these disciples set some very clear, strong boundaries when it comes to the preparation and the prayer of delivering God's word. Um, I, I don't ever want you as a faith family to think or feel that I have all the answers because I have more questions than answers. I don't want you to think that I know everything. I also don't want you to think that I just kind of randomly come up here and just spew about whatever. Um, I, I believe the, the, the very first thing that God's called me to do is to deliver his word, which I'm going to be honest with you guys. I feel completely inadequate doing. Guys, I mean, track with me for a second. This right here, whether you have it between leather or on a mobile device. Guys, this is God's word. This is, this is my Bible says, holy Bible. I mean, this was, I believe this. I believe this, God's word is 100% in errant. And it's my job to come up before a family. And if you're guests, you leave family. Sorry. <laughs> but it's my opportunity, but also my responsibility to try and take God's word and bring it to you. And I always, always, always pray that it's built around his word. I don't want to be a storyteller. I don't. 
I've got little kids. I read books to them. I don't tell them so. I read books to them. I'm not that creative. We, we do expository teaching. We go verse by verse through a book of a Bible. We'll spend, guys, you come back and visit us this time next year. I would almost guarantee you we will still be an ax. Okay? Here's the deal. I am not smart enough or creative enough to come up with a six-week topical series. I'm not gifted like that. I'm not saying that those who do that are wrong. I'm just saying that may be a talent they have I don't have. We go verse by verse through the book of the Bible. That's how we do it. Guys, but there's times when like I, I have a hard time sleeping at night. I mean, there, there's times when we get to, to, to portions of the Bible that I don't fully understand it. And I got to think, I got to stand before the people and I have to make sure they think I know what I'm talking about. There, there are times when, when the topic isn't lovey-dovey. It may not be received well. Guys, I, don't, I want you to hopefully know that I don't take this privilege lightly. And here we have the disciples who are saying the same thing. They're like, listen, those, those ministries, taking care of things, doing, taking care of these words, it's a need, yes, but listen, we can't. This church has grown to, who knows, 10, 20, 30,000 people. And you got 12 guys. And they're like, we're not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that feeding the widows is, is menial. But we can't feed the widows. We can't clean the toilets. We can't do whatever and preach and pray and prepare. We can't do it all. And so, I don't know that they use the term faith family, but the disciples say, guys, listen, it's time for you to come alongside and help us out. And so they chose, they chose seven people, seven guys. And, and, and one thing I want us to, to realize in this it's, it wasn't, you, you look in verse 4 or 3, I'm sorry. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. It wasn't like, hey, let's just seek all volunteers. But they went and they found people that it was noticeable that God was working in their lives. And to me, the amazing part about this story, this passage, as it begins with murmuring and complaining. There's an opportunity that this amazing new church, early church, who's still trying to find their way, much like Redemption Hill, you can almost see it as a scale and it's kind of teetering and what's going to happen? How are they going to respond? The disciples with wisdom, and I believe the Holy Spirit gave them, said, listen, we can't carry the whole burden, so let's begin to delegate. Let's spread the load. And the result is the church continues to grow. It gets larger and larger. There's more depth. I mean, guys, the next couple weeks probably, I mean, we, we'll, we'll read next, starting next week, as we introduce Stephen, I mean, guys, he delivers this epic sermon that results in him being martyred. That's how good of a message it was. I mean, our first Christian martyr of the church was chosen right here. And that tells you that God used this. And these disciples now have this, this platform in which they can bring along these people and begin to disciple them and use them. Especially for our visitors today, we have a mission statement in our church. Redemption Hill Church, 
And if you didn't get a chance, there's a bulletin or whatever it is in the back church before you leave. It has our core values in it. And the bottom of that core value, there's a little blue box in the back. It has our mission statement. It says this, we, we exist to glorify God through seeing souls saved and lives changed. We kind of pare it down and saying, seeing souls saved and lives changed. There's two parts to that, right? First part, seeing souls saved. It's evangelism. That's, that's us going and sharing Jesus with others. That's so crucial and, and, and central to what God's called us as a faith family, what God's called us to do individually. And there are some churches that, boom, I mean, they got evangelism down. Like, they, they get people say, boom, 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 boom. But, but when we read the gospel, when we read the Bible, it's not just evangelism. It's discipleship. It's seeing a life changed. And that's what we strive to do, faith family. We, we want to see souls saved. We want to, we want to see our community reached. We, we want to see um, the world reached through this small faith family. That's why we did this Acts 1-8 Christmas project. That's why last week in our review, I asked us to begin to rethink 2016. And I challenged us as a faith family. This may not sound big to some people, but for us as a faith family, we're going to give $16,000 to missions, domestic and around the world. But folks, missions was never intended to just strictly be writing a check or giving money to support somebody else to do work. Just like it said here, the disciples, it wasn't like, okay, guys, we're paying you. Go do it. Go do it. And so the second part of our challenge was we as a faith family are going to commit to giving 1,600 hours of mission work, of us rolling our sleeves up and doing and serving in our community and, and Lord willing, God takes us on mission trips. But folks, we need to embrace it. And I don't know if you caught this, but the very end of that verse seven, which I think is so utterly amazing and awesome, not only is the church growing, not only do you see these new converts, but notice the last group that they mention that begins to follow Christ. It says this, and a great many of the priests came to be obedient. The priests. These were the guys that were supposed to know it all. These were the supposed religious leaders who come to realize it's not religion, but relationship with a Savior. Folks, we are, as I read that passage, I so see Redemption Hill. Not in the murmurings. I, 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 I don't know if God's just giving me a lot of earwax or hair in my ears. I don't listen or hear murmurs. Doesn't mean don't speak louder if you're murmuring. But we have enjoyed two years together as a faith family. God, I think, has done some, I'll call it miraculous things. We, in our first two years, were able to baptize 20 people. And it wasn't just little kids. When we baptized adults. I mean, it was, my, it was my honor. One of my greatest honors I think I've had as a pastor was to be able to baptize some grandparents who happen to be here today. Guys, listen, there's going to be a, a time where the devil's going to try and sneak his nose in here 
there's going to be a time when, when it might be an outside influence, but eventually there'll be some, some inward turmoil. And we'll have some choices to make. We can murmur and complain. We can get upset because maybe we didn't get invited to something or someone messed up your name. You weren't acknowledged properly. Or we can focus on what God's called us to do. To see souls saved and lives changed. And my, my prayer, as your pastor, at least those who will come back next week, is that that's the heart God gives me and I stay faithful to. And I want some of you folks who are mature in years. We, we don't, and some people will refer to these first seven guys as the first deacons. There's some debate in that. And a lot of that comes down to how you define what a deacon is. What's clear in this is they were serving. One area that I have I have prayed and prayed for is that God would bring us some people of maturity that would come alongside, that would invest some of the time and life lessons that they've learned into some young families. Um, I don't want us to just be some young, hip startup church. I want us to be family. And some of us just got out of holiday times, just got away from your Thanksgiving Day table or Christmas morning feast. And hopefully you had grandparents and parents and a bunch of little rug rats running around. That's family. And that's what I want our church to be, is family. We don't have deacons yet and prayerfully by the Lord's leading, we're going to have what we're calling prayer elders. I've talked with one person so far, but if, if you're one of maturity, and maybe you found yourself where you just don't feel like you've found a place, I'll tell you there's a family here. I'm not going on a rabbit trail, but let's just I think my wife's teaching today, so I better finish up. <laughs> Pray for our church, guys. Pray that we always remain faithful to this. But you know what? It starts with us as individuals first, doesn't it? And for some, man, it's easy to identify a crack in Redemption Hill. I want to encourage you, rather than just Look and notice. Step up and do. You know, we, this is a small, it may seem like a small thing. First several months that we were here, you know, Courtney and I were up here, would be up here cleaning the building. I'm not above scrubbing a toilet. Although Courtney will tell you, I don't do it very often. <laughs> but um, we had some people come alongside us and just say, listen, Chad, let us help. Let us do something. That's something we can do. 
And so now, I mean, we, we have people that will come up here on Fridays or Thursdays that will come and they'll clean. And that's something I don't have to worry about anymore. Folks, it's not a matter. I don't, don't think that all of a sudden I'm above that and I'm too good to do that. No. It allows me to spend more time with God in prayer and preparation while they still serve their faith family, but ultimately they serve God. And here's the deal. You may come to me and say, listen, Chad, I think we need to do this as a church. I think this is what we need to do. And you know what? I may say, that's a great idea, but I don't know that we as a church can do that. That doesn't mean you can't do that. That doesn't mean that you can't start a Bible study at Chick-fil-A on a Thursday morning before work. Doesn't mean, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you can't go and start delivering food to widows. That doesn't mean that whatever it is, whatever that fill in the blank, I don't ever want church for us to become where you feel that if you put money in an offering plate, that you're paying for me to do your ministry. And check this out. If that's what you feel, keep your money. It'll do more good in your wallet than it will do in our church's bank account. I'm not being mad. I'm not being angry. What I'm saying is we need you. God's gifted you. Let's start seeing souls saved and lives changed. Let's pray. Lord, um, God, I thank you. I thank you for passages like this. that serve as reminders for us, that you've given us an enormous task, and me personally, very small shoulders, that were never intended to carry the church as a whole. God, I'm so thankful for the talent and abilities that you've placed in everyone sitting and standing in this room today. Well, those are unique gifts that you have given them. You have placed certain burdens on their hearts, You've opened up certain relationships. God, you've created, I believe, the finest faith family in all of Tallahassee. Holy Spirit, I don't know how you may have worked today, but God, I ask, I plead, I beg that you call some today And for some, maybe it's they've been looking for a place, just a home, some place to be involved with. Maybe they felt kind of cast away for a while, not sure where to go, what to do. But God, I pray that maybe today that you just reveal that to them. Maybe it's here, but if it's not here, that you help them connect to a place. Lord, I pray that you guard this faith family from complaining and murmuring. And Lord, we have all sorts of weaknesses. We have a plethora of opportunities. So God, I'm asking you to call people today to step up, to fill the holes, to use those talents and abilities, to bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, maybe there's some today who've who've never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe today's the day that they do. 
So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you work as you know how to. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com. If you don't have a, a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.